Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the opportunity uh, as, um, as your children uh, to, uh, to look to your word and specifically look to uh, one of your disciples, Peter, uh, who, uh, who did fail, uh, but because of your grace and your love for him and his life that he failed forward. So God, as we journey today, uh, let us see from your word uh, what... Um, uh, what Peter's response to Jesus' affirmation of him and encouragement of him, but also uh, his obedience and what John did as they begin to share their faith again. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. If, uh, if you're new here, we are uh, in um, uh, the fourth part with Justin filling in last week of, uh, uh, of our series entitled Felling Forward. And here are our five thoughts as I was de developing this, uh, this series five statements or five presuppositions that I have. Uh, first of all, is I believe that men are in a state of confusion oftentimes about how or if God can use them after they fail. And our affirmation is He can and He will. Here was uh, affirmation number two, or statement number two, I believe that men are often confused uh, after their failure and they settle for passivity in their Christian service and walk. In other words, they say, or they think, or we as men who have failed, we think, you know, because I've failed, I just need to sit, um, sit, and I don't have any way of being utilized uh, by God in ministry. Therefore, we just kind of say, you know what, I'm not worthy. And I want you to know, I, I don't believe in that at all. We're going to see that from uh, Peter's life. Uh, here's the third thought. I believe men are confused after failure and settle for less than God's best for their lives. We settle for less than God's best in our lives. And I don't believe that. Uh, and here's number four. I believe uh, that men are confused oftentimes after a failure and lose a compelling vision for how God can use them. They don't have a vision of what God can do. Yes, maybe I failed today, but how could God be using me in two or three or four years from now? as I recover from my failure. And then finally, number five, uh, I believe that the Bible tells us uh, everything we need to know about overcoming our failures. And one example is with Peter. And so those are kind of my overriding statements. Now let's go to uh, Acts chapter four. And today I wanna bring you a message uh, entitled, if you and I are gonna fail forward, failing forward requires some courage. Uh, failing forward requires some courage. Uh, let me ask you a, guy, uh, a question, guys. Do you have courage in your faith? Are you bold in your witness? Are you bold in your faith? Uh, are you willing, uh, willing to you lose a friendship because you're bold in your faith? Are you willing uh, to let others reject you if you are bold in your faith? Now, I want you to know, I absolutely believe there is a difference between being bold and courageous and flat out rude. There is a difference. How many of you understand that? Uh, some people are just jerks. I'm not talking about, are you willing to lose? Yeah, I see some hands raised, actually, and some fingers pointed at the same guy. Uh, I, I, I'm not talking about being rude to people. I'm not talking about being a, a jerk. I have known believers, I have known Christians, that if I didn't go to church with them, I didn't want to hang around with them. Am I the only guy? 
that you understand that it has nothing to do with the Spirit of God in their life. It has nothing to do with their boldness for the faith. They're just rude and they're jerks. That's not what I'm talking about. See, boldness is completely different. Boldness means I'm sold out to Christ. I'm not going to hold back my witness for Christ, but at the same time, I'm going to walk and live and talk like Christ. And that's what I mean by that. But it's going to require some courage. I, um, I love this um, thought. It was Patton. You remember Patton's statement? It says, courage is fear that just holds on a little longer. Courage is fear that just holds on a little longer. And that's what we're going to see in Acts chapter 4. Um, notice Peter and John are about to move forward in their faith. In Acts chapter 3, this is what we looked at a couple of weeks ago, that, uh, that they healed a man. Said, silver and gold have I none, but what we do have we give unto you, and gave them the gospel and healed him ultimately. But as we move to Acts chapter 4, we see these guys courageous because the groundswell of uh, political opinion, much like today, uh, is rising up against them. The groundswell of uh, religious authority and leadership is growing up against them. And the groundswell of academia, and we're going to look at the academics uh, of the day, of that day, were against them. That's kind of where we are today. As followers of Christ, as faithful followers of Christ, we should no longer expect the vast majority of people in political life to support us. Now, we can expect them to pander to us. How many of you understand there's a difference between being supported and pandered to? There are, many of them are going to pander to us. Um, we should not expect uh, from this day forward that the halls of academia will give the Christian witness or even the Christian a chance. Do you understand that? When you look at the numbers, we are so far outweighed and outnumbered in the halls of academia, I don't believe we'll ever, ever get it back. Now, I believe we can start at new institutions. I believe we can start new schools. Uh, but we're in such a state, when you talk about the way academia works, if you're going to go towards um, uh, some high positional teaching profession, you've got to have the affirmation of everyone who've gone, who've gone before you. You've got to have the affirmation of someone who says, boy, we want this person to move from being, you know, this person to an assistant professor to associate professor to ultimately this kind of a professor. And they are now in a position where they are going to choose people like them. So we no longer think that politically uh, that people are going to be where we stand. They will pander to us, but they're not going to be probably one of us going forward. Beyond that, we're not going to have the halls of academia. Uh, we're not going to have um, uh, the financial elite uh, in this country unless something amazing changes. But I also want you to know that doesn't cause me to lose hope because we have the gospel. And if men who are followers of Christ will stand up and just be bold in their faith and in the right way, we can have an amazing impact where we are 
in our company, companies, in our neighborhoods, uh, even in politics uh, from the ground up. And we've got folks that do that even now. But as you think about taking action, what does it look like to be bold in your faith? In Acts chapter 4, verse 1, Justin's put it up on the screen. It says, The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees, so you're talking about some of the religious elite, the political elite, um, came up to Peter and John. Now, notice this. Peter, after his failure, is now not going it alone. One of the things that we need to be encouraged by, guys, is don't ever go it alone. You need to find you a John. You need to find you someone that will walk alongside you. You need to find someone that can walk along with you in your faith. Don't ever feel like you can go it alone or you need to go it alone. So it says, Peter and John, while they were speaking to the people... They were greatly disturbed. Now notice what it was. The priest and the captain of the temple guards and the Sadducees, uh, they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus' name the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now notice what it says in verse 3. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. Now, as we see Peter beginning to regain momentum, uh, we saw his failure because of his pride. We saw Jesus uh, put him back on a pedestal. Then we saw him take the leadership, and they chose uh, the next disciple. Now we see him being bold in his witness and bold in his faith to a point where they are being thrown in prison. And so Peter has now regained momentum. And that's one thing that you and I need to understand is we can always regain momentum, but it's always going to cost us something. Did you see that? Peter has now regained momentum in his faith. He has recovered from a failure, but now it's going to cost him something. Guys, it's going to cost you something. If we are going to be bold in our faith, it is going to cost you something along the way. Now, I want to again qualify that. Don't let, it call, don't let your boldness and courage in the faith cost you something because you're not gentle, because you're not kind. Let it cost you something because of the message that you are delivering. If someone comes against you, let it be because they're attacking your gospel witness that Jesus Christ is God, God's one and only Son, that Jesus is the one and only mediator between God and man. That Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father but through me. If people are going to reject you and it's going to cost you something, let them reject you because of the message you share, not because of the way you share it. Do you hear the difference there? Let people reject you because of the message we share, not because of the way we share it. But if we're going to be bold in our faith, we've got to regain momentum. Now, Peter's done that. Peter has absolutely regained momentum. He has recovered from the failure. He's listened to the grace of Christ where Christ said, Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Now he started feeding the sheep, he started being bold, he's sharing uh, his faith, and we're beginning to see that it's going to cost him something. I believe the further we journey on, journey on in our country, I believe more and more men are going to struggle 
and lose things because they're bold in their faith. I absolutely believe that good Christian people who now operate and work in the halls of academia are going to lose their positions. If you followed through the summer, Mike Adams, someone that's been here before, uh, ended up taking his life. He operated in the halls of academia. He took one or two strong conservative Christian stands, destroyed his career, destroyed everything about him. He ended up taking his life. It cost him something. It cost him something. And guys, there are going to be more and more men who need to be willing to pay the price for following Christ and being bold in their faith. And these guys were. So notice was it says the, the, the temple guards and the Sadducees, they were greatly disturbed. And here's what happened in verse 3. It says, They seized Peter and John because it was evening. Then they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message had already believed. Here's the, there's the outcome. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Go to Acts chapter 2, it was 2,000. We're in Acts chapter 4, and it's already up to 5,000. People are believing the message, believing the message, because over and over they are sharing it. Now, what do you think Peter and John talked about when they were in prison that night? Anybody have any idea? Somebody, what do you think they talked about that night? I don't think they talked about Nancy Pelosi. Uh, what do y'all think they talked about? Huh? Talked about the 5,000. That's a good idea. Anybody have another idea? What do you think they talked about that night in prison? Huh? What are we going to do when we get out? All right. Somebody else have another idea. What, what do you think they talked about that night? How do I get out? How do I get, get out? All right, well, we've got a couple of ideas. I, we really don't know, uh, but, but, but we had one person say, 5,000. We've already seen 5,000 people come to faith because of Jesus Christ. That could have been what they talked about. My guess is it was some of what they talked about. Um, had somebody say, how do we get out of here? Somebody said, what are we going to do next? I think all of those were probably part of it. All of those were probably part of it. The one thing I don't think, I don't think they were afraid. Because they are thinking back, Peter and John now, these are the same people that took Jesus... falsely accused him, nailed him to a cross, put him in a tomb. And they had encountered that risen Jesus, and he had risen from the grave. These guys clearly understood and knew that they have no power at all to do anything to me that will outpace the power of the resurrection. So whatever they talked about, how we're going to get out, what about the 5,000, uh, what are we going to do when we get out, whatever they talked about, it wasn't talked about in fear. 
So guys, that's the idea of having courage in our faith regardless of what takes place. And so as you think about it, they talked about the 5,000. Um, they, they, I do believe they were saying, what are we going to preach next? Uh, they may have sang a song. It would have been bad, right? Kind of like if we sang. Uh, I don't know what all they did, but my guess is uh, they, in prison, focused on a lot of things, but fear wasn't one of them. How many of you ever saw the movie Shawshank Redemption? What's your favorite quote? Anybody have a good favorite quote? There's the, there's the number one quote that comes out of that movie. Somebody, do you know the whole thing? Huh? That's close. You better get busy living or get busy dying. It's one of those two. And as we think about our lives, guys, it's time to get busy living. Because we're all dying. Do you understand that? I don't know how much time I have left. I truly don't. I try to eat as healthy as I can when I'm trying not to eat healthy. I mean, you know that, are y'all like me? I, I eat healthy a lot, but when I don't, I don't hard. When I cheat, I cheat hard. And that's the way I am. Now, I don't know how much time I have left. I hope I have 20 years. That would be amazing for the men in my family. If I live another 20 years, I would so far outpace uh, most men in my family. It, it would be an amazing thing. But do we know? I don't know. Do I have 10 years? I'll take 10. Do I have 10 months? We don't know. So the one thing we need to do, guys, is we better get busy living or we will die with a lot of regret. And as I think about what they were doing in that prison, I do think they were celebrating the 5,000. I do think they were talking about them. I, I do think they were making plans for what they were going to do when they got out. I do think they were trying to figure out how to get out. But the one thing they knew as courageous followers of Christ is when they got out, they were going to do something. And it was going to incur boldness. And so as we jump down, look at verse 5. It says, the next, the next day the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. All right? Notice what it says in verse 6. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the others of the high priest family. All right? It says, they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. Now, let me tell you what the Sanhedrin would have looked like. If you go back in those days, Sanhedrin, you had the Sanhedrin is made up of both Sadducees and Pharisees. If you remember in Jesus' day, the Sadducees actually had more of the political power. The Pharisees were more of the pit bulls of the day. They just were. Now, when it came to Jesus, there was kind of a short-term unholy alliance between the Pharisees and the Sadducees because they had a common enemy. The common enemy was Jesus, all right? So the Sadducees and Pharisees didn't like each other. If you look at their theology, uh, if you look at their faith, uh, they didn't look like each other. 
the, uh, the Pharisees were very strict in their walk and their talk. Uh, they were the legalists of the day. Uh, then you had the Sadducees. They, had cut, they were the political leaders of the day. They, they, they were the aristocrats of the day. They had cut the deal with Rome. All, right? all the money was there with the Sadducees. The Pharisees would have been considered uh, the legalists of the day. They, developed, they had a hatred for each other until Jesus came along. And they developed an unholy alliance. As a matter of fact, the Sadducees, the aristocrats, in Jesus' day, kind of told the Pharisees, go get him. They kind of released the pit bulls on Jesus, and those were the Pharisees. Now, as we come to this moment, when the Sanhedrin got together, which was a collection of the high priest, which would have been over with the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they brought in, they would sit in like a semicircle, all right? Kind of like some of those Senate rooms we see, right? There would be a, 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 a line, a semicircle of people, your high priest and your top dog would sit in the, sit in the middle. Then they would bring people who they were having charges or bringing charges again, who would stand in the middle of this semicircle. They would make them stand, and then they would begin to ask them questions. And as they would interview them in this half-moon type circle thing, they would ask them questions, they would have to respond. And that's really where they brought Peter and John. They, they brought them in, and they brought them before them. So what it means is, even that word in the original language before them, is that you have this semicircle. They brought Peter and John in before them. Now, typically, if you were brought to this spot, it did not go well for your soul. All right? It did not go well. They were about to declare you a heretic or out of line somehow, some way, some favor. And so that's what it says, brought before them. And then notice the question. By what power... Or what name do you do this? Now remember, if you go back to a couple of weeks ago, they had just healed a man, right? They had been preaching the gospel. And they were really asking the question, is this magic? Is this a trick? Uh, by what power do you do what you're doing? Now, I want you to know, power was big in those days. The Sadducees would have said, our power comes from our alliance with Rome. The Pharisees would have said, our power comes from our legalism to the Old Testament laws. The Sanhedrin, the, the collection of both of them, would have said, our power comes from the fact that we have been given this opportunity by Rome to develop the religious and Jewish a leadership of the day to make some of our own decisions. By what power do y'all preach? And they ask that question. And so for the question for us today is by what power do we do what we do? What power do we do? Do we have? Man, like Peter and John, the power that we have goes back to the resurrection of Jesus Christ that that is the historical event that separates Jesus from anyone else. You can look at Muhammad, or you can look at any other religious leaders. They all lived and they all died. Jesus lived and he died, but he's the only one that came back to life. 
And there is so much historical evidence for that that to not believe it requires a lot of faith if you're willing to dig in. And so they asked him the question, by what power or what name do you do this? Notice verse 8. Remember the courage. If we're going to fail forward, we have to demonstrate some courage. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. All right, now he... Now, that's why it's so important you, you get the picture, all right? They think they hold all the cards. They've got Peter and John standing in the middle of their semicircle, and they say, by what power and by what, what name do you speak? They absolutely think they have them dead to rights. My guess is some of them had even heard about Peter's denials. My guess is, when they were in prison overnight, while we don't necessarily know what Peter and John were talking about, they were talking about the 5,000, they were talking about what they were going to do when they got out, they were talking about how they got out. My guess is, there were some of the Sanhedrin that were there who said, hey, listen, all we got to do is put Peter in front of us and he'll crumble. And someone says, really? And they go, he's done it before. He's all talk. He says, but when we bring him in and stand him up in front of us and we begin to ask him questions, he'll crumble. Because he had done it before. And guys, for us in our lives, there is a reality, I believe, that there are times when you and I begin to get courageous in our faith that Satan begins to think, all I got to do is get him back in a space where he's got to show some courage and he'll crumble again. Guys, that's why it's so important that as we regain momentum in our faith, we find ourselves standing next to a John or standing next to a Peter. So when we have to stand with boldness for Christ, we don't have to stand there alone. But when we stand there with someone else who's going to give us their boldness and encourage us alone, we can stand there knowing we are forgiven, that we have a future that the Holy Spirit will give us courage if we're willing to release it. And that we can stand against any pressure and any test. Because that's what God has called us to. And guys, my guess is, time and time again, there are men in this room, men on this call, men who will listen to this podcast, that you can think back in your own life where over and over and over you have failed the test. You failed the test so much that you're afraid of being tested. 
But I want to challenge us all to be willing to get back in the ring for Christ. Go back into battle for Christ. Be willing to put yourself on the line. And if you fail, then it's our job to pick you up. It's not your job to quit. It's our job to pick you up. It's not your job to quit. Every man in this room needs every other man in this room to be courageous in their faith. Because the more courageous you are, the more courageous I become. The more courageous I become, the more courageous you become. The more men stand up together for their faith and are willing to pay the price and count the cost, the more other men are willing to stand up for their faith and pay the price and count the cost, the more other men are willing to stand up for their faith and pay the price and count the cost, but it's going to come to a point where someone's going to put us middle of the circle and say, do you believe this? And so now let's go back. He says, then filled with the Holy Spirit, I'm in verse 8. He said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for some act of kindness, I love the sarcasm, so Peter hadn't lost his sense of humor, right? So you're saying, y'all got to sit here because of some act of kindness? He goes, okay, uh, to a man who has been lame and being asked uh, how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. Boy, he points right at them. Whom you crucified. It was that body. Those Sadducees, those Pharisees, those high priests, that body who basically had put him to Christ. Know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead that this man stands before you healed. Now jump down to verse 11. Jesus is, notice what he says, he says, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. He said, listen, you've already rejected the law and the prophets and the Old Testament uh, Messianic prophecies pointing to the Messiah. Y'all rejected all of that. The Sadducees, you, you, you don't even believe in the resurrection. Pharisees, you reject everything but uh, a few books of the Bible, and you've got your own little laws. But he no, notice what he says. He says, you have rejected the cornerstone. Now for us, who say we're in the faith, the cornerstone is Jesus Christ. Have you accepted Him? Or have you rejected Him? Now notice, that's a pretty solid word there, a strong word, reject. More and more in our society, Christ is not just going to be not accepted. He's going to be rejected. More and more, guys, and this is where the courage comes in, men who live boldly in their faith, they're no longer going to be accepted. They're going to be rejected. 
They're going to marginalize us because of our faith. They're going to try to drive us out of positions because of our faith. And that is okay. Because if we're going to walk with courage, we need to understand how can I expect people in my community, my neighborhood, to treat me better than people treated Jesus? Now, I realize that logically, as followers of Christ, we ought to be accepted above and beyond all else. Let me just be honest. No one's ever done more for women than Jesus Christ. We'll say that again. No one's ever done more for women than Jesus Christ. No one's ever done more for people of color than Jesus Christ. No one's ever done more. But even in the midst of it, he was rejected. Why should we think anything else but rejection is going to come our way? Now, if people reject you, have them reject you because of your belief, write this down, and not because of your behavior. Let me say that again. If people reject you, have them reject you, not because of your behavior, but have them reject you because of your belief. Listen, people aren't going to reject me because I'm a jerk. People aren't going to reject me because I'm crude. All right, now, they will, how many of you know, if you are a jerk and if you are crude, you are going to be rejected. But I've made a decision in my life, people aren't going to reject me because of my behavior, because of my mouth, because of how I act. If people are going to reject me, they're going to reject me because I boldly and courageously say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. When people tell me I'm intolerant, I'm going to tell them there is nobody more tolerant than Christ. He died for every sin. How many of you understand? He took upon Himself on the cross every sin. By His wounds we were healed. Boy, if we think in our society today, no one is more intolerant than the left. No one, zero. Nobody is more intolerant, intolerant than the left. So as people of faith, we need to walk in such a way that our behavior points to Jesus Christ, who from the moment He took His first breath was here to seek and to save those who were lost, who did not come to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. And so as followers of Christ, we need to courageously choose that same path. And so now as we jump down, he says, Jesus, this stone that you rejected has become the cornerstone. Now notice this, salvation. This is where we're going to close this morning. Salvation is found in no one else. That's the statement right there. 
That separates all other religions from Christianity. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. There's that belief. That's the belief that we have to stand on. That there is no other name on earth by which we should be saved. Jesus was clear. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Two questions for you as we close. One, have you ever accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? If not, today can be the day. Two, are you willing to stand courageously in spite of your past failures for that belief? Are you willing to stand courageously in spite of your failures in the past for that belief? And then as we journey forward, if people are going to reject you, have them reject you because of what you believe, not because of how you behave. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. God, thank you for the opportunity to look at Peter and John and see that Peter, after failure, saw the opportunity to come back, make a significant contribution for the kingdom of God. God, thank you so much for Peter that he did find your grace, but he demonstrates courage. God, my prayer for any man in this room or listen to this podcast or listen to Zoom, if they've never trusted your son, Jesus Christ, as Savior and Lord, that this would be the day. God, for those men who have failed, I pray that they would see that you have a bright future for them and they would stand boldly in their faith. And God, as men, courageous men, as we leave here today, let us make a predetermined decision that if people reject us, they're not going to reject us because of our behavior. They're going to reject us because of our strong and uncompromising belief that Jesus is the only name by which we're saved. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. God bless you guys. Y'all have a great day. If you see someone around you, uh, say hello to them.